0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is going to be a great hour of Bible study. So get your Bibles out. We're going to study 2 Thessalonians. We're going to wrap up our study with Jeff Ferdorn. We are in uh, chapter two, but we're going to also conclude in chapter three. So that is going to be the goal for this hour. And so if you like God's word, like we do, we, around here, we love God's Word. It's what we live for. Uh, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to get into the uh, th- the text uh, starting in Chapter 2. But I think it would be helpful if I, first of all, welcome Jeff to the show. And secondly, Jeff, have you give us a recap of Chapter 2. Well, good afternoon, Bill. This is actually
1: Lesson 15 okay. of our series. And I kind of figured fifteen's a nice round number. So I'm we're going to try to wrap it up today through chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians. But, you know, as you know, for the last number of lessons, for 14 previous lessons, we have been studying 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And as you mentioned, we're currently in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. We are going to try to finish up today. Remember the context of where we're at. So you're going to read verse 11 and 12 here in a second in chapter 2. But the, the Thessalonians, remember, thought that they were in the tribulation a future tribulation, this time of trouble that's going to come upon the whole world. They thought they had missed the rapture and were actually in the tribulation period. So we've spent a lot of time in the last several lessons talking about this thing called the rapture, where it happens, when, why, how, and so on. Uh, It's also, I've mentioned this many times throughout this study, that the rapture is actually mentioned in every chapter of First and Second Thessalonians, except the last chapter. Here we're going to get to today, Chapter Three. Uh, but especially in this last week, or I'm sorry, the last time I was on uh, two weeks ago, we saw, saw that in Chapter Two, that Paul says that the departing must occur before this Antichrist is revealed in the tribulation that is to come, and the restraining force. Later in the chapter, he says the restraining force must be removed prior to the Antichrist coming upon uh, the world and this tribulation uh, starting up and happening. So both of those references I pointed out last time, uh, I believe are references to the pre-tribulational rapture of the church that we are caught up together with them in the clouds, uh, with the Lord in the clouds, and there we will be with him forever prior to the wrath that is poured out in this final tribulation period. So I think both of those are references to this uh, taking out of the church prior to this tribulation. That is the context now, Paul describing this Antichrist who is to come. He's going to set up an abomination of desolation in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God, and so on. That's the
0: context as we move into verse 11 and 12. Shall I read 11 and 12? Absolutely. We are in Second Thessalonians um, chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Well,
1: so first when we see this, remember the context is the end time. So Paul has been describing this Antichrist and the end time. So the them, first of all, in context, are unbelievers during the tribulation period. They are the ones who are perishing, verse 10 uh, previously. They are the ones who are condemned, verse 12. They are the ones who have not believed, verse 12. And so we have, we know who Paul is talking about in context, are unbelievers during the tribulation period. And Jeff, can I add those who refused to love the truth and so be saved? Absolutely. That's okay. actually the last point on my notes in this section. Okay, sorry. Actually. Sorry. No, no, this no, no. That's...
0: Why I should just stay quiet. No,
1: because that is exactly who Paul is talking about. Okay. Those who have refused to love the truth and thus be saved. So, what's the powerful delusion now? That And what's the lie that they believe? Well, I think the lie in context is what Paul was just describing previously, earlier in the chapter, chapter, that the Antichrist is going to set himself up as God in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. I think that's the lie. Look at the context. That's what he's talking about immediately before this, this verse. I know... There are many theories about what this powerful delusion and what this lie is and whether or not it's happening today or whether or not it's going to happen in the tribulation and so on. I think the context demands the most natural reading is the lie is that the Antichrist is God and it's going to happen during the tribulation period. Remember, it's the Antichrist whose work is accordance with Satan, verse 9, and he is the one who deceives those who are perishing, verse 10, immediately before this. Um, remember, Revelation describes this Antichrist, this beast, um, as, as quote, as a. it says this, Revelation 3, 13, 14, let me just read it. And they, the unbelievers in the world, worshipped the dragon, that's Satan, which gave power to the beast, that's the Antichrist, and they worshipped the beast as God, as Paul was just describing earlier in the chapter, saying, who is like this beast, who is able to make war with him? So God gives them over, if you will, in their unbelief, that they're going to believe this lie, that the Antichrist is God, and that those who are in unbelief will be condemned. Okay. Hmm. So that's the next verse, right? Verse twelve. It says, "Because they will be condemned, because they have not believed the truth." John three eighteen says, "Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned." Already, remember for those in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight one. But those who have not believed, um, they stand condemned already. So remember this. This is key now. Notice this. God does not cause people to not believe in Him. He is giving them over to this lie in their unbelief. Paul describes them as unbelievers. That's who they are, and in that unbelief, God gives them over to to uh this lies, because remember this key, and you mentioned it this verse from earlier in Thessalonians, they perish, people perish because they refuse to love the truth and thus be saved mm. cool that's yeah, that's really good. Thank you for that recap, yep, all right, thirteen verse thirteen, if you read thirteen and fourteen for me,
0: yes, I will. But we ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so back to the
1: Thessalonians, you're not the ones who are condemned, Thessalonians, you're the ones who are who are saved. You, God has a much better plan for you than he does for unbelievers because you've been saved. You are not uh, of this world. You are loved by God. You are saved. You are sanctified. You are filled with the Spirit. These are all ways that Paul here is describing the the believers. And you you became all these things through your belief. You heard the gospel. You were called through our gospel. You believed it and when you believed it you were saved and 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 Paul says this exact same thing so many times in scriptures for example Ephesians 1 he says and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with the seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Oh, that sounds a lot better than condemnation, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. Romans 10, 14, he says, how can someone call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one that they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So the pattern of God's plan of salvation over and over in scripture is that we preach the gospel, people hear it, And they either believe it or they don't. And for those who believe, God saves. That's their better destiny, the Thessalonians, because they believed the message, the gospel, of their salvation. So they're no longer under under condemnation.
0: Rather, they have eternal life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeff, I'm thinking of Mark 16, uh, verse 15, that says, He said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Not uh, go into some of the world and preach the Mm. gospel to some of creation. Yeah, because God desires none to perish. He wants every single person
1: that walks the face of the earth to be saved. Uh, But he says, how can someone believe unless they hear? And how can someone hear unless we preach to them? And that's why God has called his church, his body, to preach the gospel to the whole world. Isn't it amazing he uses
0: us in this process? I mean,
1: it really is. It's the good work. You know, when you, you think about some of the parables of the seed expanding and becoming right. this big tree and the gospel expanding, the kingdom expanding on this earth. Um, and just think, this gospel started with 12, you know, Jews from Israel right. and now has spread throughout the entire world. With billions of people saved. Yeah with, yeah, with billions. I mean, I don't know how many people are truly born again in this world, right. but...
0: You know, it's a lot of people. Yeah, when Jesus says, greater things you will do than what I've done, I'm, I always thought, well, that, that's not possible. Then I realized what he meant by that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, is it greater in 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 wonder or significance or greater in scope and magnitude, yeah. right? And I think it's been greater in scope and magnitude. That's, yeah, I think He that's was one it. man in one country that walked the earth for 33 years, yet us as the—I love this phrase— the continuing incarnation of Christ, we are his body after all. We are still doing his work and we're doing greater things, quote unquote, greater things, because now his body is to the four winds of the earth proclaiming the gospel to everyone. Mm -hmm. Now, as some of my friends in missions will tell you, there are still many, many people who have not
0: had the gospel preached to them around, around the world. Mm-hmm. And so our work is not done. And many, many have heard the gospel and have refused it and rejected it. That's, that's correct. I mean, the the work is never, ever done. It's not. And, uh, you know, if you have people
1: in your lives, if you, if you care for them and if you love them, don't give up on them. Just Please, keep preaching, keep,
0: keep sharing keep truth. Keep praying. Yeah. Keep praying, keep yeah. loving them. And, and play the long game. Yeah. Cause we have a tendency of feeling frustrated after a while and go, what's the point? There, I just run into, I'm running into a brick wall all the time with this person. Yep. What's the point? Yeah. And yet that that's a natural tendency. I get it. You know, over the years, people have, in my classes have
1: asked me, you know, what do I do about my, my parents, my brother, my sister, my uncle, my children that don't know the Lord. And, you know, it's, what we've been talking about is what I tell them, keep praying for them, keep loving them, keep uh, teaching them and proclaiming truth to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the most powerful prayers that I've heard that someone mentioned to me a long time ago is pray that God brings circumstances into their lives
0: where they will see the truth and believe it. And, Jeff, that's probably one of the scariest prayers you can pray mm. because those circumstances might be really, really hard, but it might be the very thing that turns their their mind. Yeah, I've told this
1: story before on air, but my grandmother was not a believer and her husband was, and my dad was, but my dad's sister, uh, my grandmother's daughter, was was not. And my grandmother's daughter, I'm sorry, my grandmother was not. Uh, Barb is her name. She died in a plane crash. She was a flight attendant uh, on TWA, and the, her plane went down in Ohio wow. several decades ago. And But through those events, my grandmother came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. mmm so he uses all
0: things for good for those who love Was your God. aunt a believer? My aunt was a believer. So she's in, in the presence of the Lord. Yes. And through that incident, your grandmother didn't get angry at God, got saved. It was my understanding. I was five
1: years old, I think. Sure. My understanding was it was a very long process over months. Uh, I think she did get
0: angry. I would imagine she did. Yeah. Uh, but That's part of the process. Yes. And let your anger out at God. He can handle it. He can. Tell him what you think. Absolutely. Go ahead and 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 say what you need to say. Get it off your chest. Just be involved with him. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely good advice. And there's there's psalms that that give you a model of what it's like uh I think of Psalm 88 which every time I read it I I cringe because it it has no hope. And this the psalm ends by saying I I'd rather be alone or asleep in darkness than be with you God. It's like whoa. <laughs>
1: They poured out their hearts to God. I they mean, did. there's several Psalms where the psalmist is basically in desperation saying, where are you, God? I know. You know, David, Psalm 22, Where? why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Yeah. Right? Um, so there's a number of those. Most of them come full circle and say how faithful that's, God has been in their lives once they realize it and recognize true. it.
0: Psalm 88 is one of those that doesn't end with hope, though. Hmm. And if I was, I, if I was God, I would... I would be thinking, should I leave that in the Psalms? And I think he goes, yep, that stays. Because yeah. he knows he knows exactly how people are when they're desperate. And I think that's an example of someone who's desperate, that Psalm. And your word to
1: bring that desperation, to bring that anger uh, to God, I think is absolutely the best um, advice that you can give a person. Yeah,
0: and in that Psalm, the Hemans is saying, where can I go? You're the only one I got. Where, where, where can I go and you know he's all mad and I go well bring it on that's right yeah yeah all right we're gonna take a little break Jeff Verdorn is my guest we're wrapping up our study of first and second Thessalonians right now we're still doing a little recap in second Thessalonians chapter 2 but we got lots more ahead so don't go anywhere uh we'll be right back Oh, there's so much sadness and desperation and loneliness, especially at Christmas time. It seems to me that there is almost like a big magnifying glass on the world and we see problems just magnified and we see people in their desperate situations almost worse than ever. But there is something we can do about it. And when we think of the story of Jesus, that is the story of hope. And if you have a story to tell and you can give hope to someone this year, by sharing their story, we want you to do it. You can go do that at myfaithradio.com. I encourage you to do it. Welcome back to the show. Jeff Ferdorn is my guest. We're talking about 1st and 2nd Thessalonians wrapping up a 15-part study. Today is the final day. So, Jeff, we're What verse would you like me to read next? I'm ready to read. We are at verse 15 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, here it is. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter.
1: So here, we're going to key on this phrase, stand firm and hold fast to these teachings. Uh, One little comment. I think Paul's actually getting after the Thessalonians here a little bit. I think he's chiding them a bit here. If you remember, the Thessalonians had been taught about the end times. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about, which is one of the rapture verses that come right after that, talks about by the Lord's own words, Paul reminds them that they were taught about these things. Paul says that he used to teach them these things. And 1 Thessalonians, the the first letter to the Thessalonians, uh, also had information about the end times and the rapture and, and so on and someone came along remember a couple times ago we talked about this someone came along and 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 gave them false teaching in a letter that had been supposedly had come from paul and so they actually they they saw this fraudulent teaching someone fraudulently claiming to be paul trying to teach the thessalonians incorrectly about the end times and and basically teaching them you missed the rapture, And they went, oh, no, we missed the rapture. And Paul is now writing them back in Second Thessalonians saying, oh, no, you have not missed the rapture. Uh, these are the things that you will look for. Remember, I used to tell you these things. He was saying, why don't you remember the teaching that I gave you and hold firm or stand fast or stand firm in the teachings that we have given you? So that's his exhortation here to stand firm.
0: Jeff, that kind of thing wouldn't happen today, would it?
1: (laughs) You know, over the, because I kind of have, I'm known a little bit for my end times teachings at my own home church, and there have been, and I teach end times in a number of places actually, and people uh, have come up to me a number of times and saying, why doesn't the church teach this stuff? Why is my church not teaching this stuff? Why is, you know, is the church not talking about these things? And I think when we don't teach them, we are susceptible as a body to false teachings then about the end times. And that's exactly why I love to teach on the end times. I think Paul needs to correct proper information about God's plan for the end of the age. And if we don't teach it, then people aren't going to know, and they are going to be susceptible to th- these false teachings. Mm-hmm. All so, right, stand firm. Stand firm and hold fast. Stand firm occurs in the NIV uh, Bible 22 times. Now, for the most part, this, uh, this exhortation to stand firm relates to our salvation. Uh, this whole idea that we need to stand firm to the end. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says it this way. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. So several of the references to stand firm have to do with salvation. And the picture is that it's God that makes us stand firm until the end. In other words, we have true assurance of salvation because God is the one who makes us stand firm to the end. Proverbs 10 says it this way, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone. I think that's a picture of judgment, but the righteous stand firm forever. Love it. Because God is able to make us stand so, But God has also, now that we know that we are going to stand firm into the end, we do, our salvation is secure, God still calls us to, quote-unquote, stand firm. And I think it's, here's the categories I see in Scripture. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord and his mighty power, Ephesians 6.10. Let nothing move you, 1 Corinthians 15.58. Stand firm in truth. Galatians 5 says, stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is addressing false teaching that had come into the Galatian church. Mm. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Stand firm in this truth and don't let yourself be burdened by the requirements of the law again. That's what he's saying. Ephesians 6 talks about it. and in, in, in Corinthians, he talks about standing firm. He says in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians here, he says, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you. And in Philippians 4, he says, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, by understanding his word in the context there. So stand firm in the Lord, stand firm in truth, stand firm in the word, stand firm in faith. It is by faith that you stand firm, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. And also stand firm in hope. It is by faith that you stand firm. I'm sorry. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James 5, 8. And stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured.
0: Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Fully assured. Jeff, when we look at verse 15 and it says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter, does that speak to the importance of oral teaching? Uh, oral
1: teaching in the first century, when the Bible was being assembled and these letters were being passed around, was very, very important. We now have an advantage over the Jews, o- over any believers, new believers, in the first century. We'd be the envy of first century Christians. Absolutely. We, we have, have the entire revealed Word of God. We do. It's We have the entire New Testament. By the way, we have it because of the printing press, everybody should have a copy of it. But even more today, we have tools on the internet and in apps yeah. on the Bible that theologians uh, 150 years ago could only dream about. We, you can search on words and get Greek word understanding and Hebrew word understanding. We have so many tools available us to us today, uh, and bodies of teaching out there. Uh, we just we we have so much, and yet you know, I heard a stat: the average American. Owns more Bibles than number of minutes that they spend reading it every day.
0: Mm. All right, so they might have eight Bibles, but they spend less than eight minutes reading it. Correct. Okay, that was good. You figured that out? I did figure that yeah. out. Yeah, okay. yeah. I that's... was, I was a solid C student, and <laughs> that's, uh, that was good.
1: So we're called to stand firm, especially standing firm in the teachings that we have received. So Paul is telling the Thessalonians, look, Thessalonians, I know your persecution, it's very it's been severe. But stand firm in the Lord and his mighty power. It's like what he said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. My dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I think that's the same message he's giving here to the Thessalonians. Stand firm in the Lord and his mighty power. How about verse 16 and 17?
0: Yes. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Hmm. You know, do you need encouragement
1: today? Do you need hope today? Good hope, he says. And if you do, I pray that God will grant you his encouragement and his hope as you seek him, as you cast your cares upon him, as you fix your eyes on him, as you abide in him, as the branch abides in the vine, as you trust in him with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding acknowledging him in all your ways. And he says he will direct your path, your steps. You stand firm in the Lord and he will encourage you and give you hope. May the God who is able to make you stand firm into the end, encourage your heart and strengthen you this day. That is what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. That is what we should be telling the body of Christ today.
0: Mm-hmm. I appreciate Jeff, you asking is today one of those days where you need encouragement and good hope? Cause I know uh, this is a stressful time of year for a lot of people and you might be lacking encouragement and good hope right now, even though we're getting ready to celebrate the greatest hope ever. And that is the coming and birth of our savior, Jesus Christ, as we celebrate Christmas. But do, uh, do know that God loves you. God wants to give you eternal encouragement and good hope. So please encourage your heart uh, with that, that word and let it strengthen you in, in every good deed and word. And I appreciate if that's what you needed to hear today, that you heard it and I want you to just feel encouraged. So thank you for that, Jeff. That's, that's perfect. That was very motivating. All right, let me take a short break. Jeff Verdorn is my guest and we're in second Thessalonians. We're wrapping up our study. We've been in a 15-part study of Thessalonians, and we're going to get it done today. So we're going to take a very short break and be right back. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno Pride time, drive time Let's get it started Jump in your car, yeah. what's for dinner? Yeah. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. Oh, what kind of day have you had? Have you had a good day? And if you are having a good day and giving God the the, uh, the glory for your good day, way to go. If you've had a rough day, I, I hope you can still give God the glory because he's in the middle of every circumstance and situation that you're in right now. And I just want to, again, remind you to encourage your heart and, and feel strengthened because he wants to give you eternal encouragement inter- eternal encouragement and good hope. Hmm. there. Jeff fordorn's my guest. We're continuing our study in first and second Thessalonians, and we're going to wrap it up today. Isn't that a great line to end chapter two? Oh, it's just it's fantastic. That's why I had to repeat it. Yeah,
1: I like it a lot. But we're in chapter three. I see that Lesson fifteen of this study of Thessalonians, and this is our last chapter. So we got the last half hour to get through
0: this here. Um, let's read, if you would, please, read 1 through 5. All right, we're in Second Thessalonians chapter three verses one through 5. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance.
1: So as Paul is wrapping up his letter here, he asks for prayers in verse 1 there. And, you know, he doesn't pray for himself, his his health, his ailments, his whatever. He says, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. It reminds me elsewhere, Paul actually talks about asking for prayers that he might proclaim the gospel fearlessly as we should. And boldly. Boldly, yeah. Yeah. It's like if Paul asks people to pray for him to proclaim the gospel boldly, well, I think we, you know, I, I can't think of anybody more bold than Paul. And he's asking for prayers for boldness. So I yeah. think that's a great prayer as well, that we might proclaim Christ boldly and that it might spread rapidly and be honored. What a great prayer. Mm-hmm. Then he says this in verse two, pray also that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people because not everyone has faith. Wow. You know, we are in a spiritual battle. I often get people asking me questions about, Do you think such and such or this particular circumstance was spiritual warfare? And I say, well, yes, I do. I think everything we experience in this world is spiritual warfare in a way. If you remember Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 describes the battle that we are in. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand There's that stand again, right? Stand firm in the Lord with his armor, uh, fully dressed in his armor, so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of of the world's darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I don't know what all that is. Right, rulers, authorities, powers of the world's darkness, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, we know there is a demonic world out there. In this world, in this fallen world, which is fallen, we have fallen people, wicked and evil people that Paul was just talking about. We have a fallen creation. Paul says in Romans 8 that the whole creation is groaning as in pains of childbirth, right up till the present time. And it is awaiting its renewal. And God is going to renew creation at some point in time. And there is a fallen angel that he is roaming the earth as a lion. It says this in first Peter five, he says, be, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That is our enemy. He is only here to steal and to kill and to destroy, as John 10.10 10 says. He's called a thief. He's called our enemy. He's called the evil one. So we have fallen people. We have a fallen angel. We live in a fallen creation. Um, you know, I don't know why the church is so surprised when the lost world acts lost. We, that should be our expectation. and We also shouldn't be surprised when we face trials— of many kinds. We have a spiritual battle that surrounds us, and uh, and that is our reality. But remember this, Satan is a defeated foe, creation will be restored, the wicked will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire, and we are victorious in Christ Jesus. I've read the back of the book, we win, but more important, we have that victory right now in Christ Jesus. Present possession present possession. You have eternal life right now. You have God right now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, He is your life. We are victorious. We are overcomers. We have overcome the world, even death. Uh, We have eternal life. So what about the seal guaranteeing your inheritance? Oh, isn't that great? Oh yeah. Ephesians one. Yeah. We have the Holy spirit guaranteeing our inheritance. So in the meantime, stand firm. Because when that day of evil comes, Ephesians 6 doesn't say if the day of evil comes. It says when that day of evil comes, you will be able to take your stand. So stand firm. God will strengthen and protect you, verse 3, above. Know that he will keep you firm to the end as we were talking about earlier so that you will be blameless on the day of Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1 says. So look, we have the victory today. You have eternal life. Stand um, firm, hold fast. I never get tired of saying that. You know, so, so God says, what can mere man do to us? Well, I can think of a lot. But in the end, man nor our enemy, the roaring lion looking to steal and kill and destroy, they cannot touch our eternal salvation. Can't touch it because God says he keeps it in his hand, shielded by God's power until that day. That's Love pretty that. good news. It's the best news. All right. Uh, Should verse... we move on?
0: Verse six. Six. Let's go to. Uh, let's go to through eight. All right, six through eight. We are in Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses six through eight. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We have a couple of thoughts
1: going on here. First, Paul is telling the Thessalonians, keep away. Now, I don't know that the church does this much. He says, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. Yeah, it's
0: kind of a big verse. <laughs> it, it, I need some help on this one.
1: It is because in the church, we're it's all just all love, right? Let's all come together and we all love each other and we're all united and you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's mm-hmm. the message what we we hear all the time. Yeah. And we should be united. Amen. But we need to be united in truth, number one. But also Paul gives us this warning about idle and disruptive people that do not live according to the teachings that Paul has given. Well, of those people, now I think each of us is going to have to determine what does it mean for a person to be idle and disruptive and not living according to the teaching that, that we've received from Paul. Who are those people? But Paul says don't have anything to do with them. Now, Paul actually says this in a couple of places. Uh, he says, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. But there's actually a couple of places where he says this. In Titus chapter 3, he says, warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time, and after that, have nothing to do with them. Well, that's somebody in the body, in the church. It is. And so if you have someone who is, quote, divisive, once again, I think it's up to each body, each church to decide what does it mean to be divisive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says of the sexually immoral brother, hand him over, get a load of this, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and have nothing to do with him. He's saying if you, if there is someone within your body, within your church, who you know is, has sexual immorality, so adultery or some other form of sexual immorality, and you present this to them and they are unrepented, they're not changing their behavior, Paul says, put them out of your fellowship and hand them over to Satan Oof. for potentially even the destruction of the flesh, meaning I think they could potentially die physically. Now, you go, wow, that's really harsh. Now, remember, I think Paul is telling us this, and really God is telling us this. Remember, bad company corrupts good character. If you One bad apple, remember the old adage, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch? So if you have a bad apple within your body, if you try to correct them, try to get to re- repent, and they don't, I think that's when God says, put them out of your fellowship. And I think it's really for the benefit of the church, but it's also for the benefit of the person. I think that kind of separation, that 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 kicking out of the person is designed to bring the person to repentance and to bring them back into the body of Christ. I think that's God's ultimate goal with this kind of separation of
0: these kinds of people. Mm, thank you. Jeff Ferdorn is my guest. We're finishing our study in first and second Thessalonians. All right, Jeff. That that that's a hard verse to uh to digest, so it is.
1: You I, you know, I, I don't think we do this idly in the church. I think someone needs to cross a certain line that that many people within the church, especially the elders within the church, understand and recognize that this person uh, has crossed that line yeah. and is unrepentant and is unchanging. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next thing Paul warns us about is he warns against idleness. So Paul. Gives us an example here in chapter three where he says he worked night and day. He never expected a free meal from anybody. He never wanted to be a burden on anyone, he says. And I think he understood this principle of sowing and reaping. Paul sowed spiritually in many people's lives and he actually did reap materially, right? There are the Philippians gave him gifts. Back material gifts back for his ministry, and, and he did receive this material blessing, but he never expected it. He never demanded it. In fact, he says later, if we read, read
0: really quick, um, read 9 and 10 quick. Uh, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Wow. That's pretty intense. It's intense, but it's
1: also a great principle. And I I, I think we ignore it. I think our country ignores it. I think the church ignores it. I think this is a great principle, not only for within the church, but also in society. Biblically, the able-bodied should... I don't think, according to Paul, should never be given a handout, should never be given a food if they are idle, as Paul has just been describing. If you're not working, if you're just idle, um, and yet our our systems of support in our country uh, give out indiscriminately to those who are, are not working, those who want to work, but just can't find work, and so on. We are people who are who are uh, giving benefits to people who are not working. And Paul says if a man, if an able-bodied person doesn't work,
0: then they shouldn't eat. What a concept. Yeah, it's amazing. We're going to continue our study, wrap it up. We're in 2 Thessalonians with Jeff Verdorn. We're going to be right back after a short break. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. We are wrapping things up with Jeff Ferdorn We've been studying 1st and 2nd Thessalonians for now 15 lessons, 15 episodes, and we're concluding today and we've got about six seven more verses to go. maybe just a few. yeah so let's get let's get to it Jeff. So let's start in 11 and 12. All right we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So here's the people that we were just talking about before
1: the break, the idle and disruptive people. And now Paul's urging them, settle down, earn your food. This is what we were just talking about. This is, by the way, this is one of the strong passages where we get this idea of the strong Christian work ethic, right? Have you heard that before? Oh, yeah. yeah, that Christians are supposed to have a strong work ethic. Uh, and that's where this, that idea comes from here. Colossians 3 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward as Christians we should be great employees we should work hard we should be trustworthy we should be honest we should be on time we should always do what is right and why as- are you describing why right now uh Wyatt, I think oh, meets all
0: these characters. No, no, Bill. you're perfectly describing Wyatt. <laughs> you're just bragging about him. We don't got time for this. We got it. we got. Oh, we have time. We got this. No, we have time. To get to Bill. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Hardworking, trustworthy, and good-looking, too. Yeah. And a, and a dad. How many kids you got to get to? He
0: doesn't have kids. any kids. yet. He right. just got married.
1: <laughs> just got married. We should be model citizens. We should pay our taxes. Remember, render unto Caesar. What is Caesar's? We should do right. We should help others. We should help our neighbors. We should love our neighbors. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. The one who helped was the good neighbor. So as Christians, that Christian work ethic, remember, it's never wrong to do the right thing. And that's verse 13. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. I love that line. Never tire of doing what is right. Or doing what is good. Well, you know, I have a list here of several places in the New Testament where Paul says the same thing. Let us not become weary of doing good, Galatians 6, 2 Thessalonians 3 here, 1 Corinthians 15. As always, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Um, You know, I like Paul. Paul in 2 Timothy 4 says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And you kind of got this sense here that that's what he's describing. Do what is good. Continue to do it. Stand firm in the Lord. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Because God has this amazing reward and this inheritance waiting for you. So stand firm, Christian, in him.
0: Mm. Thank you for saying that again. And and you can say it again if you want. Mm. Uh, I I never get tired of hearing it. It is a good message. 14 and 15. All right. Uh, 14 and 15 say, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer."
1: So this is going back to our previous conversation, right, about those who are idle and disruptive and don't have anything to do with them or follow the teaching we have received. So Paul is reiterating once again that if someone is not taking his instruction, so basically not following the New Testament, uh, do not associate with them. I mean, the, this is a really harsh uh, kind of exhortation that Paul is giving here. We and, and like I said earlier, I don't think the church is... Doing this that well, to not have anything to do with them, do not associate with them. Um, look, I think there's believers out there that we're we're to love people. Um, we're called to love people. We're called to. I. But but remember, there's some people even within the body of Christ. Do you like to hang out with every single Christian that you know? Mm, not really. Yeah, I know. So you know, I, I think one <laughs> one of the fun line, not fun line, but Thanks for putting uh, good me way, on the spot. By the way, good way to. Well. I only ask that because everybody oh, I know. is like that, right? Of course. And so we kind of have this line, you know, I love you with the love of Christ, and and uh, but I, I don't want to hang out with you, right, kind of thing. But this is, this is about those who just aren't following the instruction that Paul gives. He says, take special note of those who do not obey our instructions in this letter. In other words, they're not following the Word of God. They're not following its exhortations. And um, your close friends and associates, if you are a firm believer in the Lord, should be firm believers in the Lord. Uh, and remember what we talked about earlier. One of the reasons that I think God has the church do this is for their benefit, that they might recognize where the, where they are at within the church. And here Paul says, in order that they may feel ashamed, what's unsaid here, but I think it's it's our conclusion, is that they might repent and start listening to the word of God and following its exhortations. Mm. Uh, I think that's the word, but it's, I granted, this is a tough, a tough word from Paul.
0: It is. All right. Should I read 1617? Yes. All right. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. Mm. So first is peace. Uh, The peace of God.
1: Remember, when you believe and are saved, you have the peace of God. But now the peace with God, now we want the peace of God. And I just love the idea of God's peace resting on the believer. And uh, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying he writes this in his own hand because remember way back in verse 1 concerning the coming of our Lord, don't become too un- easily unsettled or alarmed by a teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or word, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Remember, they got a false teaching And so Paul is now writing this greeting in his own hand. This is his distinguishing mark. So you'll know this is how I write and you'll be able to determine that this is my word and not someone trying to impersonate me uh, in some kind of fraudulent false teaching. But the word here, the bigger picture is be on guard. There are people who are out there teaching false teachings and with the advent of the internet and the availability to get information At a fingertip on so many different topics, you, Christian, need to be that good Berean who searches the scripture every day. And don't just take stuff because it's on the internet someplace. There are, don't forget, there's a lot of false teachers out there pushing false teaching. All right. How about 18? The grace
0: of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Wow. What a nice way to end you know, we talked about this at the end of 1 Thessalonians.
1: The grace of God is how Paul and so many of his letters from Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and on and on. Grace.
0: Grace be with you. You mm-hmm. know, So
1: amazing. Someone needs to write a song about this amazing <laughs> grace that we have, huh?
0: Yeah. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much. This has been a great study. I well, really enjoyed this. I have too. Bill. Just got a Very nice uh, text from Joyce. She wants to know what's next, Jeff.
1: Um, I I was going to decide that over uh, Christmas. Yeah, that's
0: the tease. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much for being with me today, and I want to say thanks to Jeff and Andy for being great guests today. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.